Hey, welcome to the Tyson Show NBA Draft Recap. I'm Tyson Whiting talking about everything in the world of sports, but today we're talking NBA Draft as Kate Cunningham went first overall to the Detroit Pistons. A lot of people talking about how this might be one of the deepest draft classes since maybe that 2003 class with LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. And I'm thinking that you're looking at that top five, and I'm thinking you possibly could have four or five all-stars in the top five in this year's draft. I mean, when I look at Cade Cunningham offensively, I see a little bit of Paul George, a little bit of Chris Middleton, a little bit of LeBron. You know, what you pretty much see is a guy that can put together an easy 25 points a game. You know, Cade Cunningham, a guy that's a smart player. There isn't very many weaknesses to his game, except for maybe he's not an overly explosive player. But I got a feeling that the Detroit Pistons are going to be utilizing him early and often this season, and he's probably going to average 20 points a game as a rookie. Him and Jeremy Grant are going to be the two big scorers for a Pistons team that is certainly rebuilding, but I thought they had a pretty good night this evening. But I think that the big overall winners, we're talking NBA Draft here on the Tyson Show, NBA Draft Edition, is the Houston Rockets. I look at what they did at number two, picking up Jalen Green, just a freakish athlete, a guy that's got good footwork and is a great scorer. And the big thing is he can score at the rim, he can score mid-range, and he also shoot the three-point shot. And he's got a lot of flash to his game, and I think he's certainly going to be a big factor in that Houston Rockets rebuild. And I don't think it's going to be a rebuild that's going to be five or six years. I think that the Rockets, within two or three years, are going to get back to a contending team. And I think Jalen Green is a big factor in getting the Rockets back on track as they obviously had a rough year last season. And I also like what the Rockets did picking up the big center from Turkey, Al Sengen or Senjin, you know, a guy that uh, looks like a pretty good player. I mean, you think about it, somebody that at 18, maybe 19 years old over in Turkey was the Turkey League MVP, averaging 18 points a game. And he was an analytics darling because of the stats he put up. And he also looks like he's a pretty smart player as well. And then I liked what Houston was able to do, back-to-back picks 23 and 24, picking up Yusan, Yusman Garuba from Spain, you know, the Real Madrid player who looks like he can play right away. You know, somebody may not score a lot of points, but certainly on the defensive end and with his high motor, probably the highest motor of anybody in the draft, I think Garuba is going to be a factor for Houston here the next couple years. And I also think Josh Christopher, who the Rockets picked 24th overall, has got a lot of scoring potential. And, you know, it's interesting talking about the draft, and I didn't realize just how deep the draft was until until I started paying attention, until I started watching the draft. And you look at all the good players that are getting picked in the second round of this draft. I mean, I think the Jazz got themselves a steal with Jared Butler getting picked 40th. You know, the guy out of Baylor who was a first-team All-American this season. You know, I thought it was a great pick. You know, I thought what the Bulls did at 38, picking up uh, Ayo Desumu from Illinois. I thought that was a great pick as well. I mean, you're looking at high-motor, high-caliber offensive players getting picked, you know, as late as 45, 46. I'm really surprised that Cooper out of Auburn you know, is uh, fallen as far as he has, considering that, you know, offensively kind of compares a little bit to Trey Young, even though he's not very big, but also, you know, Trey Young's not a very big guy as well. And so it was interesting thinking about the hype going into this draft, being that this could be the deepest draft since 2003. And, you know, my first reaction was, what? I'm not, because I wasn't really sure that the draft really was that deep. But, you know, looking into it, it looks like this could be one of the best drafts that we have seen. I think 2019 was also a pretty good draft that was led by Zion Williamson and Ja Morant. But this year's draft looks like it's going to be pretty deep. And we're talking about winners 
in this draft. And we talk about how there could be four or five all-stars there in the top ten. I think what Orlando did at five, picking up Jalen Suggs, I think that's an outstanding pick. You know, you think about Jalen Suggs, and the first thing you think of is that game-winning shot he hit from about half court to beat UCLA in the final four. But I think Jalen Suggs has got a great game. You know, he's 6'4", 205 pounds. You know, he may not necessarily be that guy that has that amazing 48-inch vertical leap type of thing. You know, he's a very smooth player. And with his football background, you know, there's a little bit of toughness involved. You know, he seems like a, a floor leader, and he seems like a natural leader. And obviously, he's a little bit young, but I think he's going to really come into his own. And uh, I really like the potential of Jalen Suggs. And as the Orlando Magic enter in rebuild mode, and really, that's that's what the draft is for. It's for teams like Orlando that are on the, uh, you know, they're really right there in the bottom of the standings, but really need to use the draft as a big key in getting you know building their team up and I think that uh, you know taking Jalen Suggs is certainly going to be big for them I like what Sacramento did tonight believe it or not I think the Kings had a pretty good draft you know in the first round obviously taking Davion Mitchell I don't think there's any chance that Davion Mitchell is going to be a bust I think he's going to be somebody you plug into the starting lineup you put him right there with with the Halliburton, who was the great first-round pick that the Kings had last year, who was first-team all-rookie. And I think the Kings are starting to build themselves up a little bit. And I really liked what they did in the second round, taking the Utah State center uh, 39th overall. I think he could be somebody that could potentially be a starting center in the league. So I think Sacramento really did a good job for themselves in this draft as well. And it's one of those drafts where you look in the teens, you know, you look at various teams. I think the Wizards did a good job taking Corey Kispert adding a little bit of shooting there. And, uh, you know, I liked what uh, Atlanta was able to do, taking Jalen Johnson 21st overall. Uh, I also liked what Charlotte did. You know, they were able to take uh, Kai Jones trading up to get him from the uh, from the Knicks and then taking uh, James Bonite, you know, the guard out of UConn, 6'4", but he can score about 18 to 20 points a game pretty easily. It kind of reminds me of another UConn player in Kemba Walker who came from that program about a decade ago and also ended up with the Charlotte Hornets. I imagine that the Charlotte Hornets front office can see a little bit of Kemba Walker in James Bonite. So I think that was a pretty good pick that Charlotte made. And, uh, you know, when you're thinking about the picks, I mean, yeah, it's not like we really know, you know, who's going to be a good player and who's going to end up being a bust. I mean, <laughs> who really knows? I mean, Franz Wagner out of Michigan, who was picked by Orlando, I think eighth overall. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily going to be a great player, but you never really know. You know, I think everybody was high on Scotty Barnes, who was picked by the Raptors, but, you know, you never know if his offensive game doesn't develop. I mean, he could end up being like a Corey Brewer type. So, really, when you're talking about 19, 20 years old type of guys, you know, you're really talking about guys that aren't complete players right now. But yet, you look at the depth in this draft. I mean, it's one of those where... You know, you stash guys away to Europe, but I could kind of see here in the second round a lot of players taking taking college guys. You know, and this is the second round seems to be where you're taking those three and four year college guys that have that experience and maybe can play right away because as you're looking at those good teams needing to find that depth. You know, you look at the second round, that could be a great spot to add some depth. And I think the Jazz did a good job in taking Jared Butler, the 6'3 guard out of Baylor, because I think he can add some depth. And even if he's not starting and maybe not playing 25, 20 minutes a game, I think Jared Butler is somebody that can step in and really help that culture out with the Jazz. You know, really 
uh, be the player that, uh, you know, if he's playing 12 minutes a game, you know, he's going to keep himself ready. I mean, he's got that work ethic, and obviously uh, being at a program like Baylor, he's got that winning pedigree and uh, knows how to win championships, and uh, I think that's, you, know, you can't have enough of those type of players. And so I think the Jazz trading down, I think they traded down because, you know, you could get Jared Baylor, you know, you know, Jared Butler, you know, at 40. If they can get him at 40, you know, they probably could have taken him at 30, but you move back 10 spots, maybe get the guy you're going to take at 30 anyway and pick up two additional draft picks. And I think that uh, not only taking Jared Butler, but getting the two extra draft picks is certainly why I think the Jazz had a pretty good night. And even though it wasn't necessarily a night that saw a first-round pick, and when you're picking 30th, you know, you're kind of guessing at that point because, you know, you're getting players that aren't complete players. You know, you're getting guys that it may not necessarily have a complete game. You know, I look at Joe Wieskamp, uh, out of, you know, that the Spurs took 41st overall. Great shooter, but, you know, can he do a, you know, can he, does he have that lateral quickness? You know, <laughs> does he have that athleticism you look for in a first round pick? And, you know, the answer probably is no. And so he ends up going 41st overall. But the Spurs get a guy who can come off the bench and, and hit three pointers all, all night long. So I liked what the Spurs were able to do, even though they kind of had a quiet night. They took Josh Primo out of Alabama which I think was a little bit of a reach, even though the, the guys on TV didn't necessarily want to you know, criticize the Spurs in their selection, but they did take a little bit of a reach to the San Antonio Spurs, taking Josh Primo with, I believe, the 12th overall pick in the 2021 NBA draft. And we're talking about the draft here as it's going on. I think the draft just ended right now, and I'm getting my initial thoughts out there is uh, it's a special podcast right here, the Tyson on Sports Podcast, NBA Draft Edition. And obviously the big story coming into the draft was the big trade made by the, the Lakers and the Washington Wizards as Russell Westbrook goes to the Lakers along with two draft picks. And the in return, the Wizards get Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and also get Montrez Harrell, and the 22nd overall draft pick, which ended up being Isaiah Jackson, but Jackson ended up uh, getting traded from Washington to the Indiana Pacers, and that's where Jackson will be the rookie out of out of Kentucky, and it looks like Sharif Cooper was picked by the Atlanta Hawks with the 48th overall pick. You're talking about a dynamic score. You're talking about second-round steals. I think Sharif Cooper, who was just picked by the Atlanta Hawks, I think he's going to be uh, still in the second round, possibly. A guy that is a dynamic score, averaged 20 points a game for Auburn. And he was picked in the second round. You're talking about a guy that, coming out of college, maybe compared a little bit to Trey Young. And now Trey Young and Sharif Cooper are going to be teammates. I kind of like what the Hawks did. They're maybe more in the second round. I mean, I'm not. I don't necessarily like Jalen Johnson. I don't like a guy who quits from a place like Duke at midseason. You know, I, I don't necessarily like the makeup of Jalen Johnson. But I do, but I do like the Hawks' second round pick. Uh, getting Sharif Cooper, but back to that Russell Westbrook trade for a little bit because you're thinking about a guy that maybe is at the tail end of his prime. I mean, I don't know how many more good years Russell Westbrook has in him. I mean, obviously you're talking about a first ballot Hall of Fame type of guy. You know, you're talking about somebody that is a triple-double on a regular basis, maybe an every night basis, but you're also talking about somebody that plays a physical brand of basketball and at 32 years old will be 33 in November. I don't know how many great years Russell Westbrook has left in him. And, you know, he's not necessarily a guy that's been an efficient player. You know, you're talking about uh, last season with the Wizards, you know, field goal percentage, 43.9%. 
31.5% uh, from beyond the three-point line. Now, Russell Westbrook did average a triple-double once again, averaging 22 points, 11.5 rebounds, and 11.7 assists for the Washington Wizards. You're also talking about who's going to be able to handle that ball. Who's going to get the ball on crunch time? Is it going to be Westbrook? Is it going to be LeBron James? Anthony Davis is going to have to shuffle in there a little bit. And, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook hasn't had to deal with the injuries. He's been a very durable player over the course of his career. But I kind of wonder, as Russell Westbrook ages, as he gets into his mid-30s, you know, are the, are the injuries going to start playing a factor there? And you think about it, the Lakers are going to have to get creative in how they build their bench, you know, because you're going to have three high-salaried guys there in Westbrook, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. You know, you're not necessarily going to have a whole, lot, a whole lot of cap room there coming off the bench. So they're going to have to rely on veteran players that see a chance for a championship and are going to have to take the minimum or something close to the minimum because the Lakers just aren't going to be able to have, you know, spend a whole lot of money on guys like Dennis Schroeder and Contavious Caldwell-Pope who was part of the trade. You know, you're, you're going to miss that role scoring that Kyle Kuzma brings to the table. And so it, it, kind of like this past year where you saw guys like Andre Drummond and, you know, other players. I mean, Caldwell-Pope's a pretty good role player. I mean, you're... So I kind of wonder, you know, if you're the Lakers, how do you build the rest of this offseason? And if we're talking about teams that have the most intriguing offseasons, you know, past the draft going into free agency, I'm looking at what the Lakers are going to have to do in rebuilding this team. You know, you get a little bit more of an offseason there with LeBron and Anthony Davis, and they certainly need it. You know, LeBron at 36 years old, it's not just the age. It's the miles as most years LeBron is playing into mid-June. So you're talking about a lot of miles for LeBron James. And even then, he averaged 25 points a game. But he only played in 45 games this past season because of the injuries. You know, Anthony Davis only played 36 games last season for the Lakers. Averaged 21 points a game. So he was still great when he was healthy. But uh, what are you going to get from those role players? Because with this trade, you don't have Kyle Kuzma anymore, who was your fourth leading scorer, averaging 12.9 points a game. You don't have Montrez Harrell, who I really like as a role player, somebody who can do it on both ends of the floor and can play above the rim and also brings that physical presence that every good team needs. You know, you don't have Montrez Harrell anymore, averaging 13.5 points a game. He was actually their fourth-leading scorer now that I think about it, and Kyle Kuzma was their fifth-leading scorer this past season. But you lose those guys, you know. You're going to have to really count on Alex Caruso, to step up you know you're gonna have to rely on some guys that uh, you know like Wesley Matthews a guy that maybe has passed his prime but you count on for maybe some outside shooting you know you're looking at uh, can you get another year out of Jared Dudley you know can, yeah, I think the Lake the Lakers you know they're gonna their starting five certainly is set you know it's gonna be a pretty strong starting five but what are you gonna get out of those role players I think it's important because, you know, you have the three superstars, but they're aging superstars. I mean, you know, LeBron's 36. He's not getting any younger. I mean, we mentioned 36 with a lot of miles. You know, Anthony Davis, even though he's 27, he's an old 27. He's a 27-year-old that's having a tough time staying healthy. You know, can you rely on Anthony Davis to stay healthy and give you 82 games next season or, or whatever uh, the number is that they end up playing this year? And obviously a team like the Lakers, they're planning on playing deep into the postseason. And we mentioned Russell Westbrook being 33 years old. So if you're talking about teams that have intriguing off seasons, I look at the Lakers being right there at the top of the list. And 
maybe the other teams I'm thinking about need a good offseason, and in particular, maybe need a good month of August in order to build a championship-quality team. I look at the Jazz, and obviously the draft was a little bit quiet. They took Jared Butler in the second round, which I think was a pretty good pick, a guy that could, could have gone late first round. But I think that you know, you're know you starting to see some of the depth of this second round. I mean, it kind of tells you just how deep this draft is. that You can get a guy like Jared Butler uh, with pick 40, uh, a guy that's got championship experience at Baylor and is going to step in and really uh, give, give you that great work ethic and be able to step in and maybe day, gain, you know, day one, yeah, you're probably starting with the summer league. You know, not only the summer league in Salt Lake City, but then going on to Vegas. You're probably talking about a guy that can really help build your team a little bit and help build that bench, because obviously, you know, you're going to need that depth. And uh, I think the big question for the Jazz going into the offseason, obviously, is going to be Mike Conley. That's priority number one is to find a way to lock down Mike Conley. But after that, I don't know how how flexible the Jazz can be because obviously Mike Conley is going to command a high salary, and you're already paying Donovan Mitchell a ton. You're already paying Rudy Gobert a ton. You know Bogdanovich is going to take about eighteen to twenty million dollars a year. So you're talking about a Jazz team, kind of like the Lakers, are going to have to get creative in finding ways to you know get guy contributions and get good contributions off the bench from players that are making the minimum or close to it. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Jazz do. I mean, you obviously got guys like Joe Ingles, and it wouldn't surprise me if Joe Ingles ends up getting uh, shipped somewhere else. I, it wouldn't surprise me if the Jazz trade Joe Ingles. Because you're talking about a guy that's not getting any younger. I mean, Joe Ingles, how many good years do you have left in him? But you also have a guy that's making good money. You know, you know, he signed that big contract. I think, if I remember right, it was something like four years, $52 million, $56 million, something like that. So, you know, you're talking about uh, can the Jazz afford Joe Ingles if they're going to be able to pay Mike Conley a lot. So I could I wonder if Joe Ingles is on the mar- market, you know, if you end up trading this, him. You know, you're talking about a guy who's 33 years old. He's about as old as I am. He was born a month after I was. You know, Ingles has been in the league eight years now, averaging uh, 12 points a game last season. The big thing, though, is is Ingles brings that outside shooting. I mean, he's a 41% career three-point shooter in last season, the 2021 year. Uh, he was 41, he was 45.1% from the three-point line. So, you know, do you ship Joe Ingles, who's a fan favorite in Utah? What do you get in return? And obviously salaries have to match or get creative. I mean, I could see the Jazz taking on draft picks maybe for, for Joe Ingles because – you're talking about somebody that made $10 million last season, and Joe Ingles, it looks like, according to basketballreference.com, is on the books for $14 million this season. So you're talking about a guy that's going to command a top salary, and uh, you know, can the Jazz afford it and get Mike Conley back? I think that's going to be interesting how the Jazz handle the salary cap books because you know, you're going to get you know, what do you do with Joe Ingles? You know, making $14 million next year. Are you going to get $14 million worth of production out of Joe Ingles? I think it's certainly a question to be asked, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Jazz do in the offseason. So if you're talking about interesting offseason, if we want to put a list to it, certainly in the Western Conference, Lakers won, but I also got the Jazz probably at number two because, you know, the Clippers probably are, are stuck there. They're probably stuck with Kawhi Leonard's contract, if not – Kawhi Leonard next year because he probably is going to miss the entire season due to that due to that injury so they're going to need a big year out of Paul George no question about that 
And kind of like the other teams, you know, with guys like Paul George commanding a high salary, they're going to need to get contributions from from former draft picks and guys on rookie deals. And so it'll be interesting to see what the Clippers do this offseason. And I think Denver, if they had a healthy Jamal Murray, I think Denver would be a championship contender. And I thought they would have been a championship contender you know, this, this past season uh, if they would have had a healthy Jamal Murray. And obviously they added... Aaron Murray at the trade deadline, but I think that a healthy Jamal Murray could have been a different story for the Denver Nuggets come playoff time. And Phoenix, you know, the team that just went to the finals losing to Milwaukee. I mean, they had a two games to none lead in the finals. I don't know if the Dario Saric injury played a big factor, but uh, I think it did. You know, when you're talking about it's it's possible the Bucks would have won the series even if Dario Saric was healthy for the Suns, but uh I, you know, you kind of wonder because they didn't have that depth in the front court. And I think that, uh, you know, for the Suns, that's going to be something they're going to have to address here going forward. And you're talking about what Phoenix did in the draft. And I'm kind of trying to draw a blank as to what Phoenix did in the draft. But they're going to have to they're going to have to get some size. You know, the Suns are going to have to find a way to improve the inside game and really get some depth inside, you know, because if. Sarich is unavailable next season. You know, they're going to have to find a way to get some depth behind DeAndre Ayton. I think that uh, especially when you come, pl- uh, come playoff time and you get teams like the Jazz and Lakers, or, you know, and it turns into a little bit more of a half-court game, they're going to have to get that depth uh, on the inside. And uh, so I think that's going to be a priority for the Phoenix Suns. And I'm curious as to what today they're going to do because, you know, kind of like the Jazz needing to bring back Mike Conley, you know, you, we saw the impact that Chris Paul had. I mean, there's no doubt – that Chris Paul had a huge impact on winning. You know, he, he certainly changed the culture there in Phoenix, and it probably started in the bubble when Chris Paul was playing elsewhere. But I don't think you can underestimate the value that Chris Paul has brought to that Phoenix locker room. And so not having him, you know, if, if Chris Paul leaves, what's plan B? But I don't think Chris Paul is going to leave because there's a lot of money there to be had in Phoenix. So he can end up staying, especially with – you know, Chris Paul possibly being a, a pick that could have gone to the Lakers. You know, he could have ended up signing up to play with LeBron James and instead with Russell Westbrook now being tra- traded to the Lakers. And yeah, that kind of takes that away from Chris Paul. And so that's there's an option there that uh, isn't there anymore. So I could see Chris Paul going back to the Phoenix Suns and uh, making one more run out of it with Devin Booker to try to repeat in the Western Conference. We talked about what the Pistons did getting Cade Cunningham. Looks like they took the big guy in the second round, Luca Garza, out of Iowa. Somebody who averaged 24 points a game. And I think if you watch college basketball, you'd probably think that Luca Garza could have gone a lot higher in the draft. But he's somebody that is really slow afoot. And I don't necessarily think that he has the physical tools. I mean, obviously he's a big guy, but... uh, I don't know that he has that defensive versatility. He's somebody that uh, can just plays inside. And even though he improved his shooting a little bit, I don't know that Luca Garza is going to be a great pro. But the the Pistons took him in the second round with the 52nd overall pick. And so, you know, they're taking a flyer on him. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the rebuild of the Detroit Pistons. We're talking NBA draft here on the Tyson on Sports Podcast, NBA draft edition as uh, the draft is actually still going on as I'm getting my initial thoughts there is Evan Mobley ends up going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I think that Cleveland in the post LeBron James era have had to really build through the draft one year at a time because, you know, Cleveland's not necessarily a free agent destination. And I really like what they've done. You know, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, they've got a really good young backcourt. 
You know, Kevin Love's up there in age a little bit, uh, but then you add Evan Mobley. You know, could Kevin Love end up going somewhere else, and could the Cavaliers get some value in return for Evan Mobley? I remember last season they took a small forward in the first round, and so I think that Cleveland, even though their rebuild's probably going to be five or six years, I really like what the Cavaliers have done. They just get a, they, you know, the problem is young teams lose games. You know, young teams just don't know how to win. And Cleveland is at, at that stage where they're just a very young team. And they just don't know how to win right now. I mean, Colin Sexton's 22 years old. Darius Garland's 21. Isaac Okoro, who was the first round pick in 2020, he's only 20 years old. You know, you're talking about uh, Kevin Love being the veteran on that team at 32 years old, but uh, he only got in 25 games last year. So you're talking about a really young core there in Cleveland, and they really just added to that Nevin Mobley, a big guy who feels like it's going to be a multiple-time all-star in the league. And so even though Cleveland adds another young piece, I mean, obviously they're going to need to get a little bit older and a little bit more experienced if they want to find a way to win here in the next three or four years. But I really like the long-term rebuild that Cleveland has made one draft at a time. And uh, really building the thing up. I think that uh, give it two or three more years, I think the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be a tough team, especially if uh, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton end up uh, developing the way they want. I mean, you talk about Colin Sexton at the age of 22, averaging 24 points a game. And obviously for losing teams, somebody's going to have to score. And, and that's what Colin Sexton is right now. But you pair him up with Darius Garland, that's a pretty good backcourt. And if the, if the Cavaliers... Wanted to move one of those guys, you probably can get a pretty good haul in return, especially if Cleveland wants to improve their front court. And they were able to do that in getting Evan Mobley out of USC. You pair him up with maybe Jared Allen, a center that I really like. Averaged 13 points and about 10 rebounds a game for Cleveland last season. I think the Cavaliers. And even though they weren't necessarily the big winner on draft night, I think that goes to either Detroit or the Houston Rockets. Obviously, the teams that had those top picks, but I really liked what Cleveland is building there. Maybe not necessarily with the depth of this draft, because it's not like they had five or six picks going into this thing. But I really like the Evan Mobley pick, and I really like what Cleveland is building long-term, one draft at a time, as we're talking NBA draft here on the Tyson Show. And uh, it was interesting to see Utah State Center Keita getting drafted by the Kings 39th overall. And I really think as you look into the 20s, I mean, one of those players is going to turn into a star. I don't know who, but uh, you're talking about Josh Christopher, Quentin Grimes, who goes to the Knicks 25th overall out of Houston. He's going to be a pretty good player. I think Jordan Springer, or Jaden Springer, gets picked by the Sixers 28th overall out of Tennessee. He's got a chance to be a pretty good player as well. If you're talking about scores, I mean, the Brooklyn Nets, you know, you think about a team that, you know, how many good scores can they have? And they pick up Cameron Thomas out of LSU. He had six, he had six games where he had 25 or more points. He averaged 23 points a game as a freshman at LSU. So the Nets just improved their scoring just that much more. And it, I think it's going to be fascinating you know, here long-term to see what happens here in the offseason. But you're talking about the big winners tonight. I think it's going to be Houston and Detroit and with Houston, it may not necessarily be one guy. You know, Jalen Green was certainly big, but I really like the other picks the Rockets were able to make in that in that uh, first round. So I really like what the Rockets did in the draft tonight. And uh, obviously, we're not going to know for two or three years what the real impact is on this draft. But I thought it was interesting, the question going in to the ESPN coverage on draft night was, is this the deepest draft since 2003? 
Originally, I didn't think it was, but then as the picks started rolling in, I do think that this might be one of the deepest drafts that we've seen. It might compare, you know, top level wise, you know, if you're talking about uh, four of the five picks ending up as all stars. I think the one t- guy in the top five I don't have as an, uh, having an all star future is Scotty Barnes, the forward out of Florida State who went fourth overall to the Toronto Raptors. I'm just not sure he's going to develop that offensive game uh, to the point where he can be an all-star. But I do think Scotty Barnes is going to be a key contributor in the league as well. And we're talking about long-term, and we were mentioning you know Cleveland kind of building their team one draft at a time. That's the same case with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I thought the Thunder had a pretty good night as well, taking Josh Giddy out of Australia, six overall. And hey, it's possible when this draft is over, you know, we're talking five years from now, hey, Josh Giddy. I mean, we're talking about Luka Doncic being an all-star. I think Josh Giddy's got that all-around game to where if he properly develops, you put him next to Shea Gilgis-Alexander, assuming the Thunder don't trade him. I got a feeling the Thunder are building this thing pretty well to when you're looking at 2024, 2025, Thunder are going to be right back up there. And remember how the Thunder built their team a dozen years ago. It was one draft after another. It was Kevin Durant the last year that they were the Sonics. You move to Oklahoma City, you get Russell Westbrook, and then you add James Harden. They also made a selection there when they were where they were still the Sonics where they took Jeff Green. You know, they built that thing one draft at a time, and that's exactly what the Thunder are gonna have to do with this particular rebuild. And they got a lot of draft picks, and if they're able to hit on those picks, and watch out, the Thunder are going to be pretty good here in the next three or four years. And it's going to be a long rebuild. It's going to be a lot of growing pains for that Oklahoma City team. But, uh, you know, you look out. I would say 2025, maybe 2026, watch out for the Cavaliers and the Oklahoma City Thunder because they're building their franchise the right way one draft at a time. And I thought both teams got better uh, with the draft this evening. So those are just some of my thoughts as we wrap up the NBA Draft Edition of the Tyson Show Podcast. I'm here in the Salt Lake Valley. And obviously a lot of talk locally about the Jazz taking Jared Butler, 40th overall from Baylor, the 2021 National Champs. And uh, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to add a lot of depth to that Jazz team. But uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the future editions of the Tyson Show Podcast. And we'll even have a baseball edition I'd say early next week because obviously we talk about the big trade with the Lakers. There have been some big baseball trades as well as the Yankees. Add two big left-handed bats, Joey Gallo from the Rangers, and they also added Anthony Rizzo from the Chicago Cubs. It looks like the Cubs are starting to break that nucleus that helped them win a championship back in 2016. And you think about the trades, though. I mean, I don't know there's going to be any trade that's going to uh, duplicate what the Dodgers did. I mean, the Dodgers ended up picking up Matt Scherzer, a future Hall of Famer, and maybe even tr- another future Hall of Famer in Trey Turner, who's an all-star who can still bases and is a great glove man. And I'm not entirely sure the Nationals uh, got a great deal. I mean, they got some good pieces there. They got a couple good pieces in, in Gray and uh, in Ruiz, the catcher. But I'm not sure that the Nationals got equal value for a future Hall of Famer and Max Scherzer, who's still pretty close to being at the top of his game, and somebody like Trey Turner, who's you know if he's healthy, he's probably a perennial All Star at the shortstop position. So it'll be interesting to see. And the Washington Nationals also traded Kyle Schwarber to the Boston Red Sox. So the Nationals look like they're going to enter rebuild mode maybe a little bit sooner than uh, 
what you thought, man. I thought maybe 2022 or 2023 you'd see the Nationals start going into rebuild mode, but it looks like they have accelerated that with two big trades on the day before the trade deadline on Thursday, which turned out to be NBA Draft Day, where it looked like Major League Baseball, with all the deals that they were making, are looking to still a little bit of the thunder of this NBA draft, which could end up being the best draft we've seen since 2003, although I do think that that 2019 draft that was led by Zion Williamson and John Moran, I thought that was a pretty good draft as well, as well as the draft that ended up producing Trey Young and Luka Doncic. So it looks like the future is bright for the NBA, who got a lot of stars in the draft this evening, and we'll also talk a little bit next week on the next edition of the Tyson Show, we'll talk some baseball trading deadline stuff and uh, obviously football with the training camps in both college and the NFL. We'll talk about that as well. But thanks for listening to the Tyson on Sports NBA Draft recap. I'm Tyson Whiting. It is what it is. We'll talk to you on a future edition of the Tyson on Sports podcast right here on SoundCloud. <laughs>